1: Jimmy Murphy and Pierre Maguire here, and this is The Eye Test on the Sick Podcast Network.
0: Turn up your, your, body. your body. Because you're about to listen to The Sick, Sick Podcast. The Eye Test with Pierre Maguire and Jimmy Murphy.
1: The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond Marsh! The Sickest NHL Podcast. It's going to be sick. Hey, Jimmy Murphy here back on the iTest on the sick podcast network. My co-host, Pierre Maguire here and Pierre, uh, probably my favorite holiday of the year, actually here in the States, Thanksgiving coming up this Thursday, Thanksgiving week here in the States. And, you know, we'll get into it later and and we'll, we're going to focus on it Wednesday and Friday as well, but some unbelievable days of hockey coming up 14 games on the slate on Wednesday, And 15 on Friday, a lot of day hockey as well as it's Black Friday in the States. A lot of people have the day off. So this is one of my favorite weeks of the year. Obviously, a lot of travel for people. I wish you safe travels and and no traffic and no delays in the airport. Uh, Pierre, I see you are already in a destination spot. Where are you this week?
0: Uh, I'm in northern Quebec right now with my wife, Melanie. Um, This is where our children were born. Uh, We're going to have Thanksgiving with my mother-in-law and also my mother, who's 87 years of age up here in Quebec, so really excited about that. And then on Friday, Jimmy, I'm going to make my way down to Hamilton, New York, to watch Niagara University and the Colgate Raiders play a two-game set on Friday and Saturday and then come right back up here to Quebec so I can watch a ton of hockey uh, on Sunday all the way through to the next weekend when I'll be in Ithaca, New York, to watch Cornell and Colgate. Uh, which would be phenomenal hockey at Liner rink and at the class of 65 rink in Hamilton. It's just phenomenal. That series, when you watch Colgate and Cornell play Jimmy, it's off the charts. It's good.
1: Good rivalry. It's always, it's great rivalries in college hockey. And we're going to get into some college hockey at the end of this episode. And then we've got an announcement we'll make as well concerning NCAA hockey. But here, let's look back on the weekend that was here uh, in the NHL and there were some great games, some great matchups and, you know, I don't know if the NHL did it on purpose, but there were at least four or five rivalry games that went on. And we're, we're going to look into three of them. One of them was our game of the week, as we told you on Friday, uh, the New Jersey Devils hosting the New York Rangers. The Rangers get you staring back. The Devils got Jack Hughes back. And it was your typical uh, Devils-Rangers game at the Pru. And uh, Pierre, one of the questions I remember you saying was, let's see if the Devils fans can outnumber the Rangers fans. I don't know if it was just because the Rangers won, but it didn't sound like it. It sounded pretty split, if not more in favor of the Rangers fans. The Rangers come away with a 5-3 win there. Pierre, what was the difference for you in that win uh, for the New York Rangers?
0: The depth players for the New York Rangers and the face-off play. Last Friday when we talked about the Rangers, we talked about their improvement in face-offs, about 6% from last year to this year. Well, they outfaced off the New Jersey Devils in that game on Saturday night by almost 7%, Jimmy. So when you look at it, face-offs mattered for the New York Rangers, but the depth players, Jimmy Vc, Tyler Pitlick, Barkley Goudreau, those guys made a massive difference. And you talked about the players that were coming back for both teams. There was no Nico Hischier for New Jersey, but there was no Adam Fox for New York. Mm-hmm. So they're all kind of balancing out. You can see what Hughes does. I mean, Jack Hughes makes such a massive difference for the New Jersey Devils. Jimmy, He's a human highlight reel. Every time he touches a puck, something special is happening for the New Jersey Devils. And Tommy Fitzgerald, their general manager, has got to be so excited about that going forward. Mm -hmm. But for the New York Rangers, we're seeing a team that's got balance because of the depth players that they have. They've got star power, especially with Artemi Panarin, who Jimmy is off to just an amazing start, amazing start. So I look at it. That game was as advertised. It was a fantastic game for both, both fan bases. Unfortunately, for New Jersey, they lose, but for the Rangers, they got to be excited about their brand
1: right now. They've done a great job. The coaching staff, as a managerial staff, and the players are really playing great hockey. And you brought up the name Jimmy Jimmy Vc. there. He gets the game winner. Let's give it a listen. Third period, Devils with the last four shots. Trocheck finds a trailing Vesey. It's crazy!
0: A you hear, you hear kenny danico by yeah. the way being totally transparent with you jimmy when i went to new jersey devils training camp way back in the early 1980s kenny and i played together i have so much respect wow. for the way he carries himself uh kenny is a tremendous guy was a phenomenal player what a career yeah. he had one of the few guys that had his number retired obviously in new jersey mm-hmm. uh, but he does a really good job on those devil broadcasts his passion and his energy for the team I think is fantastic. I really yeah, agree. and he knows
1: his stuff. Character guy, character guy. Pierre yeah. I was going to say with Jimmy Vc. Look, obviously, his second tour of duty here with the New York Rangers. What what's different about Jimmy Vc this time around to you? I think there's more
0: urgency in his game. He understands now he's not the flash and dance Hobie Baker winner that he was at Harvard University. He can't be that. Not and survive in the NHL. So he had to find a way to reinvent himself. And I think you know you get kicked in the teeth enough. He had once been in New York. He got moved out. You know, you start to see you go to Toronto, you a little bit in Buffalo. You get kicked around enough, and then you say, okay, what do I have to do to stay? And I think the biggest thing is he found a way to reinvent himself, and that's with more of a pugnacious attitude, getting to the net, understanding he has to block shots, being harder on board play, having a stronger stick in one-on-one situations rather than just trying to be a toe-dragger. And I think he's found that, and I'm so happy for him. You talk about smart kids in the NHL, Jimmy. Jimmy mm-hmm. Vesey is one of those kids. He's a really smart kid. I have a lot of time for him.
1: He is. He is. And obviously he went to Harvard, right?
0: <laughs> there we go. We're not exactly. all smart, Jimmy, that went there, <laughs> but he's one of the ones that, that is pretty wise. And he also went Thank to Belmont Hill, Jimmy, one of your big uh, rivals when you yes, were Yes, yes,
1: yes. Hey, we're going to have to, Pierre, you'll have to, I haven't even looked at the schedule, but you and I got to go to a St. Sims-Belmont Hill game together this year. Oh, well,
0: we, we will for sure. Let's There's a whole lot up, of nasty that goes yeah. on there. It's good it stuff. It is.
1: It's fun. Good times. Hey, listen, speaking of Belmont Hill, they're uh, a little, you know, 15, 20 minutes away from TD Garden in Boston. And that was a site for another chapter in the Bruins-Habs rivalry mm-hmm. on Saturday night. The Canadians, of course, a week before on November 11th in Montreal, gave the Bruins a 3-2 loss in overtime uh, and really, you know, went toe-to-toe with them. I, I wouldn't say the Bruins had their best game there, but that's not the Canadians' fault. The Canadians mm-hmm. brought it that game and they, they proved – it, any given night, they can hang, and they've done that a lot with contenders. However, Pierre, we get to this game here on Saturday, and I I don't know about you, but I you know I'm looking at this game going okay. They get an, the Bruins are getting another shot at Montreal just a week later. It's also Big Bad Bruins night. Mm-hmm. Bobby Orr, Phil Esposito, Wayne Cashman, Jerry Chivas, the whole crew from the seventies, from the seventy team, the seventy two team are there in the house, and not only that. And I never knew this, Pierre. I I told you this over the phone. I never knew that those two Stanley Cup champion teams, the 1970 Bruins and 1972 Bruins, were never able to raise their banners uh, like every team has done for so long to the old garden rafters. So, what did the Bruins do? And, and, you know, to commemorate this and to celebrate the centennial season, there's been a lot of this stuff going on here in Boston this season. There'll be more. They gave them that chance. And I'll tell you, I got to sitting on a scrum with Wayne Cashman, Mm -hmm. Dallas Smith. And those guys were so touched. And you you could, you know, Cashman got a bit emotional. There's a lot of things I won't get into it, but him and the Bruins kind of, I wouldn't call it a divorce, but they had a pause in their relationship. And that, you know, that's for them to figure out. But this was his first time back in Boston in many years. and, And he really was emotional. It was cool to see. And I actually found out through a source Uh, that they're looking to retire his number and put that up there with those banners. put number 12. And I think that's well-deserved. It should have been put up there a long time ago. You got to watch him play Pierre and we'll get, we'll get back to this game that happened, but I want your take. I'm just hearing stories there. I grew up in Boston. My grandfather was the one who introduced me to hockey and to Bruins hockey had season tickets and he would always tell me the stories, but I never got to see these guys play. Hmm. And from what everything I'm told, he was the heart and soul of those teams, wasn't he, Wayne Cashman?
0: Well, when you look at, obviously, Bob Yor being there, and you talked about Dallas Smith being there, and I could think back to when Don Ory was playing there. He was a shot-blocking machine. But up front, you with Busick and Esposito and Cashman, uh, Pye McKenzie, just phenomenal stories uh, with those big, bad Bruins. And and Wayne really personified what a big, bad Bruin really was. He was a feared guy. He dominated in small rinks. So back in the day, when you think about it, you had Chicago Stadium that was small. You had the odd in Buffalo. You had, obviously, uh, the guard in Boston. They were small ice surfaces. It was not hockey for the faint of heart. And Wayne Cashman made it that much more difficult. You know, Jimmy, I have to tell you, I'm not as old as I look. But my (laughs) experience level would tell you that I've been around 34 years in the NHL. I had the privilege of coaching against Wayne. Wow. And when he was a coach um, down in Tampa uh, okay. and also in New York. And and I would tell you that uh, not only was he a tremendous player, an elite player, um, he was a fantastic coach. People forget yeah. in the 98 Olympics, he was one of the assistant coaches to Mark Crawford on that Canadian staff. Now, did they win the goal? No, they didn't. Did they medal? No, they did not. But that team was well-prepared. They ran into you know a freak show on Dominic Ashik in the yeah. Czech Republic in the 98 Olympics. But Wayne was an amazing player. He was a great coach. But what he's really been, a tremendous ambassador for what, yeah. whomever uh, he's been with and whatever team he's represented. He's a, just a tremendous ambassador of the game. He really is.
1: Well, you know, I hear you say this with Mitch Malnick all the time, that we didn't plan to say this, but as a great segue, Pierre, because I had a story I was going to tell you to surprise you with. And, so, and he he came up to me, and we started talking about it again. So I, I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan, Pierre, and always have been since I was about 15 years old, right? And so my first year covering the Bruins was one 2 And I get to training camp, and, and Wayne Cashman is the assistant for the Bruins on Fertoric staff then. And, you know, we're sitting there in the hallway after a training camp practice, uh, and it was, you know, September 12th, 2003. It's when Johnny Cash passed away, and I, I was just sitting there, and somebody told me about it, and I was like, oh, man, I was bummed, you know, and I'm sitting there and Cash is like, what's wrong with you? And I said, Johnny Cash just passed away. He goes, no, because I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan. And I I said, well, that makes sense. Cash, Cash. And he he goes, I'll tell you a great story, Murph. So long story short, Johnny Cash was playing a concert uh, in the old Boston Garden. And he arrives a day early. And, you know, they're getting all their equipment in there and getting ready to set up. And the Bruins are coming off the ice as Cash is in the hallway there. And so Wayne Cashman is, is walking by him after, you know, after the practice. He's like, oh, my God, that's Johnny Cash. And he goes up, he introduces himself, and he's looking around. He's like, I don't know. What do I do? I don't, I don't have anything to sign. Could you wait one second? And he looks at the trainer and goes, hey, you got a Sharpie? The trainer gets him a Sharpie, and he looks around and goes, what? what are, and and Cash goes, grab one of those sticks. So whose stick does he grab? Bob Ewer's stick. Then <laughs> 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 he gets an autograph of Johnny Cash on Bob Ewer's stick, and it's still – so I saw him the other day and I brought that story up and he said, hey, still hanging in my basement, Murph. It's oh. one of my most prized possessions. So, yeah, good for Wayne Cashman. I hope they do raise that up there. Um, but getting back to the, the current times in that game. So as I was saying, all those things are going on, right? There's, there's so many factors that you would think would have the Boston Bruins really revved up for this game. You got the revenge factor. You got these guys in the house. They don't want to let them down. I mean, if this was one of those games, you know, like I talk to my betting friends sometimes on that Ice Guy show, and they say there's those games that are just sort of scheduled wins or scheduled losses. This is one they would call a scheduled loss for the Canadians. But the Canadians just didn't seem anything to – like didn't seem to have anything in their tank to change that. I mean, it was almost like they accepted their fate, Pierre. I, I thought – and I watch the Canadians a lot. I, I thought that was one of their worst games of the season. I don't know about you.
0: Oh, no, we agree wholeheartedly, but the big boys came to play for Boston. And by big boys, I mean Trent Frederick, I mean Charlie Coyle, I mean Charlie McAvoy, I mean Brandon Carlo. James Van Riemsdyk. Yeah, James, JVR came to play. But the big boys for Boston came to play. And for Montreal, they're still a work in progress. The expectation of the organization in Boston is last year wasn't good enough, especially because of the first-round playoff loss to Mm -hmm. Florida. And they're not going to go through that again. So they're set the template going forward for how they want to carry themselves. And when they have a Saturday night at home against a rival team, they're not letting them off the mat. And they didn't. And exactly. that's a real sign. So- that's a real sign of a well-coached team from Jimmy Montgomery and his mm-hmm. staff. And it's also a sign of the internal leadership mechanism of the team. And I have a ton of respect for that with what Boston's doing right now, Jimmy. And
1: Pierre, don't forget now they did this like in the immediate aftermath of the Milan Lucic news uh, breaking, you know, where Milan was arrested for a domestic incident. So there's like this distraction that could could kind of take them away from their focus there, and they weren't they weren't distracted at all. And, you know, I look at that leadership core, Brad Martian, he was the only one to address us, by the way, after the game, uh, it was an optional skate. And, you know, he touched on that. But, I mean, you could tell talking to some of the guys, I just talked to them off the record, they were zoned in. And not, nothing was taking them off their, their focus there. And it showed on the ice. And you brought up those three guys, Charlie Coyle, JVR, Trent Frederick. We're going to go to a goal right here. This was Trent Frederick's second goal would prove basically to put the Canadians away. It was right mm-hmm. after Yuri Lefkoski made it 3-1. to one. You know, maybe the Canadians are getting a little momentum. And the Bruins said, uh-uh. And Coyle finds Frederick coming out of the penalty box. Let's give it a listen.
0: Ski knocks it down, one shot on the Montreal power play, and here's Trent Frederick, he scores! Fresh out of the box, it's
1: 4-1! Now the chemistry that that line has formed here, and you know, I'm, I, I don't know why, you always tell me the names, but you remember that line, I think we brought this up last week, that Tampa formed for their cup run and all the, you know, when they started to build their dynasty, that third line they had, it was uh, Goudreau. who's now in New York.
0: Bowman mm-hmm. uh, in Calgary, Yanni Gordon, in Seattle. Thank you.
1: Thank you. All right. And they kind of said, this is the type of line you need to succeed in the playoffs. That not, I don't, secondary is kind of an insult to them, but it's sort of that line that, okay, you dealt with our first line with our superstars. Now deal with these big boys coming at you. And that's what that line is doing right now. They are just powering through the opponents, and Trent Fredrick is really turning into the power forward that they thought they had in him when they drafted him.
0: Oh, that's so well said. So, Jimmy, I'll take you back to the 26 draft, 2016 draft, and, and mm-hmm. this is just a history lesson. There were a whack of kids that were drafted out of the St. Louis area. Kelly Chase, Keith Kachuk, and Jeff Brown did a phenomenal job in those years running the youth hockey program, the elite youth hockey programs in, in St. Louis. Matthew Kachuk went sixth overall. Clayton Keller went seventh. Logan Brown went right after them. Luke Cunning, he went right after Logan Brown. The 29th pick in the draft that year was Trent Frederick, St. Louis kid. Went to the University of Wisconsin, played for Tony Granato there for two years. But here's the thing. Last year for Trent Frederick, it was a career year. He had 17 goals. He was plus 28. You could see this starting to happen last year, Jimmy. You really could. But what the Bruins did in that draft in 2016 with the 14th pick, They took Charlie McAvoy. So you start Mm -hmm. to see if you get two picks in the first round, you know, a few years later, so now we're talking seven, eight years later, that are playing at the level that McAvoy and Frederick are, that's like a home run. That's a grand slam. It's phenomenal. And, Jimmy, I'm just going to take you down memory lane. I remember it clear as day. The Winnipeg Jets are playing the Boston Bruins. Trent Frederick's playing. It's his first game. He's playing on a line with David Backus. He gets in a hellacious fight with Brandon Tanev of the Winnipeg Jets. who's no shrinking violet, by the way. Yeah. He didn't yeah. want a national championship at Providence College. He's he's a tough kid. He's a yeah. big open ice hitter, and he's a tough kid. Well, Trent Frederick, he did a number on him. Uh-huh. And you See, from that point on, you talked about the big, bad Bruins. That's what Trent Frederick's starting to personify right now. He's a big, bad Bruin. Now, can he score like Cam Neely? No, but can he get involved physically like Cam? Yeah, he can. Yeah, he can. Yeah. Here's the biggest difference for Trent Frederick, Jimmy. His skating has improved
1: unbelievably. Say, it's unreal. It's unreal. I don't know who he trains with in the summer. You may know, Pierre. But whoever it is is doing a great job because yeah. he has really put on a power skating clinic. And you look at that goal. I mean, the goal we just mentioned there, that was him just getting the wheels going and going right down ice and, and right to the net. And he, he. the other thing I like about him, too, and, and Jim Montgomery mentioned this the other day, is... His defensive game has come Mm -hmm. along. He's really back checking. He's getting back there to help the defenseman a lot. And he's really taken it upon himself to be a responsible player when it comes to the defensive game. And I think I like, too, what I talk to some of the teammates, like I've talked to Charlie Coyle about him on and off the record. And he's like, Murph, this kid's the real deal. He gets it. He gets what we're trying to do here, and he wants to be part of it. So that's a great sign for the Boston Bruins.
0: hundred percent. And the biggest thing is you talked about the defensive awareness. When you're able to do that, the coach trusts you. They're going to put yes. you on in key exactly. situations. So your ice time is going to go up. Your chances of score are going to go up. Your minutes are going to go up. Your yeah. plus minus is going to be better. You're going to get on more special teams. And then you become a revered part of the organization. And that's where Trent Frederick is trending right now as a revered member
1: of the organization. He is. I mean, he's been used. He's been used on the PK a lot more this year. Uh, Pierre, let's go to another game. And this was a game that you were you were definitely focused in on as well as me. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche the stars. Board. I mean, what what a great battle early on in the season here. And this is what I was talking about. And God bless the NHL for their scheduling because there were some really good battles like this that were on the slate yeah. this past Saturday night. Now, Pierre, the Dallas Stars come out and take a three nothing lead and lose six to three. Mm-hmm. What the hell happened?
0: Um, So guys like Miles Wood, Ross Colton, Logan O'Connor, Andrew Cogliano, Joel Kiviranta, Freddie Oleson, all these guys got involved. The depth players got involved for Colorado. They won races. They were physical. They went hard to the net. They drove the Dallas Stars defense, which is really a focal point of their team. And I can tell you, Pete DeBoer was a phenomenal coach. He's always preaching that. You know, they're a tough team to play against. His teams in New Jersey were hard to play against. His teams in Florida were hard to play against. Teams in San Jose were hard to play against. Pete DeBoer is a really good structural coach. But here's the thing. What I loved about that game, you see the influence of college hockey in the National Hockey League. Miles Wood, Boston College. Ross Colton, University of Vermont. Logan O'Connor, University of Denver. Andrew Cogliano, University of Michigan. Yolke Viranta. He's a Helsinki U. Let's just say Finland U. College (laughs) player, but Freddie Olsen played at Nebraska Omaha. Yep. So you see that, and then you see obviously Kale McCarr, uh, University of Massachusetts. And I know, I know, I know, Jimmy. And then the other one is uh, Devon Tapes. You know, Devon Tapes played at Quinnipiac. What a phenomenal program. Jack Johnson played at the University of Michigan. I mean, I can go down the line. So, Colorado's done a phenomenal job building their roster. Joe Sackick and his group are just, they built a tremendous roster. But I think there's always one game in your first 20 that sets the tempo for your next 20. And I think for Colorado, that game in Dallas on Saturday night set the tempo for them for their next 20 games.
1: For sure. And and one guy that's always seems to be setting the tempo, but we've agreed, Pierre just doesn't seem to get the love around the league. And maybe that's because, of you know, the other superstar he's got on the team with McKinnon and Makar. But that's Mika Ranton. I mean, oh. it, it, this guy, it just does everything. And once again, he got the game winner. here. Give it a listen right here.
0: Somehow stayed in with possession and a backhand score by Colorado. It was ranton
1: who got the puck and roofed it up high. Pierre, what makes him so effective?
0: He's big, he's strong, he's got hockey sense. Jimmy, the first time I saw him play he was a kid playing for TPS with Turku, which is on the west coast of Finland. And I said to myself, Oh my gosh, this guy's really good. Like I how old is not, he then? listen, at the time I was fortunate enough to be part of the management group that drafted Jarmer Jager. Believe me, the size and all that, pretty similar. I wasn't saying he was going to be as good as Jager, but there were characteristics. Mm-hmm. That brought you back to the 1989-90 season when Yarmir was running roughshod when he was playing in Cladno, just dominating people. So you saw that, but people forget this. It might have been the quietest 55 goal season ever last year for Eklund. I mean, 55 saying. goals last year, Jimmy. Yeah. Nobody talked about. It. I never really? heard too many people talk about. It. I watch a lot of games like you do. I yeah. read a lot. I pay attention. I didn't hear too many people talking about that. Um, he's just he's just a hockey player. He's a Big, smart, physical, passionate mm-hmm. hockey player. That's what he is.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're blessed to have him there. And, look, Bednar definitely knows he can depend on him. And he's shown that, like, when McKinnon's been out, you know. And, then, yeah. and that's why I'm surprised that he doesn't get more love in the, in the, in the media there. But uh, he's, he's doing a great job with them. Pierre, we're going to switch gears. here. Well, quickly, before we switch to college hockey, uh, there's two other teams you want to talk about here. Yeah. First off, the Minnesota Wild, right? And, look. Pierre, I know that you don't like to talk about coaches' jobs, and we're not going to speculate anything. But all all we can say is it, it, it's not a pretty picture right now for Dean Everson over in Minnesota after they go zero for two in Sweden, and, and just couldn't. They still can't find that traction, uh, and they still can't find that identity that they seem to be developing under him, but haven't found this season. We we said it before: trips like that are kind of Things you can use to bond. You're around the guys a lot more. Uh, You're away from the regular media you have to deal with. And it just didn't happen for Minnesota over there, did it?
0: They weren't as good as they could have been. The fact that they were able to get points in two games, I think Jimmy matters a lot. Um, So, you know, they don't beat Ottawa. They don't beat Toronto. But they get points out of the game, out of those games, I should say. That's positive. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury talked about the battle level, especially in the last game with Toronto, which was pretty high. So that's a positive. Right. Um, but they've got to start to get traction. I love the term you just used. They've they got to start to find traction. And the one thing that I do know, there's a really strong relationship between Billy Guerin uh, and Dean Evason and yeah. the coaching staff, the entire staff, which I think is a really strong staff. They've got to find a way for their players to get to the next level. And, and so it's not going to be easy. I don't think anybody expected Winnipeg to be this good. And yeah. so that's, you know, that's something they're in their division. They need they need that to recognize that and understand that it's not going to be easy. I mean, it's a tough situation for them right now. But I think anything less than a playoffs would be pretty tough for Minnesota because I think they're playoff-built kind
1: of a team, I really do. They really are. And, they, you know, they're built to have Billy Guerin's I- identity that he had as a player. You know, you can yes. see that in some of the signings and transactions he's made. So I, I hope they get it together. I've known Billy for a long time, so I hope they get it together. Another team right now that's trying to find themselves and, and again, find some traction um, is doing it in an old school way. But how much is that old school way? Uh, last in, in a in a new wave of hockey players. You know, it's a new generation of players that maybe aren't going to respond to benchings as well as some players did in the past. And, you know, that's Patrick Line and Johnny Gojo right now. Ooh. What do you think is going to happen here, Pierre? I mean, sooner or later, th- this method of benching him in game or benching him for a full game is going to run its course and it can go sideways.
0: It could. Um, I've done it before. I remember when I took over the Hartford Whalers, Two of my better players at the time were Michael Nylander uh, and Jeff Sanderson, and both of them were tremendous young players. They really were, and they went on to have phenomenal careers. But I remember we played the Bruins, I want to say, on a Wednesday night and on a Thursday night we were in Philadelphia, and I told Nylander and Sanderson to stay behind um, because I was trying to create organizational standards. I didn't think they played to the standard that they were capable of, and I was trying to send a message early on. After that, the next 20 games, Jimmy, you'd have to look it up, but I think the next 20 games we had the third-best record in the National Hockey League, and and Jeff and Michael were both a big part of that. They really were. They did play tremendously well, and I was really proud of them. But I think sometimes you try to get players' attention, especially younger players. Now, in the case of Line and in the case of of Johnny Goodrow, they're not young players anymore. They've been around the league for a while. This is where I think – it's so important to have a veteran person like Mark Recchi on your staff. And so if you're Pascal Vincent, who's never really coached in the NHL as a head coach, and never coached in the NHL as a head coach, having an ally like Recchi on your side, uh, that could help. But this is dangerous. Now, one other thing, Jimmy. Nobody knows in this league, I don't believe Patrick Lyon ain't better than Yarmo Kika Lyon and, and his assistant, Vili Sarin. They know him really well from Finland, obviously. And so I think that's another thing that's a positive to get him going, but they need both those players to be going hundred percent. If they're going to start to get some traction in the standings, they really have to.
1: Pierre, at what point though, you know, you mentioned they're veterans. They're paid a lot. Yep. Um, they're, you know, they have clout in the league. Yeah. Does, if if they don't get going, does it does it get to the point where maybe change of scenery might have to, happen and you know they, maybe they have to start to explore that I mean yeah. when when do you as a coach you know say to your GM hey man I, I just don't know if we can if this is going to work with this guy
0: yeah I, I'd say in this case the coaches are going to be going to the GM I think the GM is going to be going to the president of hockey operations okay. in this case it's going to be Yarmo going to John Davidson and saying you know what um we've got an ability to trade either one or both of these players and i don't like to speculate like this i I don't think it's fair to the players of the organization but to just say it um both those players have value in the league still both of them goudreau and Liony both have value in the league so it's not like columbus would be dropping players and not getting better they'd have they'd be trading if and i stress if they were to do this I don't have any inside info that's telling me they are but people have to be looking at this because of the excellent point you brought up Jimmy and that is they've both been sat out of the lineup and right. you know they're their highest paid players. When yeah. you're set out of the lineup there's a reason why that's happening. You're trying to get everybody's attention and so far it hasn't worked.
1: Here's another thing here and this just just came to my head and we didn't even discuss this but I want to get it out. I looked at that team when they went out and they they signed Goudreau, right? I kind of sat back and I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't see the fit right now of bringing in another superstar like that. When they kind of struck me as a team that that was on the rebuilds, not the word, but a retool. And they're starting to really integrate younger guys and they're starting to push towards the future. And then you bring in a big name like that on a big contract. And I felt like I, I just don't know if that's the right move right now. I'm not blaming Goudreau at all. I'm not, th- look, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, as a general observation, do you think that was the right fit at the right time?
0: I thought there were better fits than Columbus, but I also understand what Yarmouk Kikalainen was trying to do as a general manager, and that is to jumpstart his fan base, jumpstart yep. his team, and say, We're bringing in a guy that's a hundred point player, and you're going to have him and Patrick Line. And, you know, Boone Jenner, and you're going to have Zach Wierenski, and you're going to, we're going to have some really good players here. Um, and we're going to get going, and we're going to be a playoff team. And I, I've done playoff games in Columbus. I haven't been many, but I have done them. And I'll tell you what, it's an electrified atmosphere. It really is. Columbus is a fun hockey town. I love it. It really is when they're going. Uh, but they need everybody going. And right now, that's not happening, Jimmy. They need everybody to be a lot better. The, to me, the best fit, there were two fits for Johnny Goodrow, I thought. If he wasn't staying in Calgary, one was New Jersey, and I think mm-hmm. they were involved in the discussion. And the other one would have been Philadelphia, which I think Johnny could have helped them sell some tickets.
1: Well, you know what? We usually go to this, and I'm sorry to our producers, I'm going to pr- uh, pull a curveball here. We usually do our Twitter questions at the end, but as we're talking, I mean, this question goes right in line with what we're talking about right now. You guys were discussing Michael Bunton, that's last week. I feel like there are a lot of examples yeah. of high performing players who move to a new team and struggle or decline how often is there a failure to account for team and city specific factors that play into player performance? Even with all the scouting analytics and hockey IQ, the clubs clubs apply to personnel decisions. Sometimes I feel like there is still an assumption that BC X player put up X Y numbers here. He'll do that when we get him here, neglecting the impact of role setting and surroundings. Pierre, you were saying this to me off the air exactly about Johnny Goudreau and Calgary?
0: Evan, uh, that's a great question, I think. And yep. I, I think back to when Johnny was in Calgary and, and you look at the line with Lindholm and Kachuk and how great that line was. You had the hockey sense and the brilliance of Lynn Holm. He's a really, really smart player. He had the smash mouth component and the high skill level of Matthew Kachuk. And then you had Johnny Goudreau who could process the game as a smaller man as well as any small player I've seen in the league, his hockey sense is brilliant. Um, and he's not shy. He's not afraid. So that line was, uh, was amazing. And then when it got dismantled, I was like, "Uh Oh, this is, this is not going to be good for Calgary. And it, and it hasn't been now again, different general manager, different situation, different coaching staff. So this isn't on the Calgary flames right now, but you wonder about what went into the mindset of how they did their business. And, You know, I don't know what the negotiations were like with Kachuk. I don't know what the negotiations were like with with Goudreau. I just don't know. It would be fair to say that I knew because I didn't know. But I think it's important to Evan's question to always evaluate who was the player playing with? What was the role the player was in? How does he deal with coaching? Who are the guys that have coached him before? There's so many different informational situations that you need to evaluate before you actually make trades. And I, I can just say this from personal experience. I learned this from Pat, Craig Patrick, Bob Johnson, Scotty Bowman, and Brian Burke. Mm-hmm. Those are the people I learned this from. And and it's really important to have mentors and people that understand how to make constructive trades that will make your team better. With fits. Uh, and the player fits. And that's the Evan's point.
1: Yeah, yeah. Great point. I just thought I said we might as well go to that now because it
0: totally
1: applies to Johnny Goudreau right now, I think for sure. Um, So let's switch gears Pierre, because we're pretty excited uh, about what we got coming up this week and we'll tell our listeners now and then we'll kind of look at some college hockey from this weekend. But Pierre, you you booked some nice guests for us coming up uh, on Wednesday and Friday.
0: Yeah, so excited. Uh, Greg Brown who's the the outstanding uh, new head coach at Boston College. Uh, He took over the job when Jerry York stepped aside. And Jerry York is one of the living legends in U.S. college hockey, uh, whether he was at Clarkson College or whether he was at Bowling Green University and eventually at the end of his career with with, uh, Boston College. And then for Greg to take over that program after being an assistant coach at Boston College, an assistant coach of the New York Rangers, a head coach with Dubuque in the USHL, and then he gets to come back to his alma mater. So we're really excited to have Greg on on Wednesday. And, and, Jimmy, you know, you watch all those games. I know you were watching on Friday night. Boston College is a murderer's row of players. I mean, they got a lot of NHL guys on that team.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm watching that. They're playing UConn, and, like, those guys, they were they were getting a handful. I mean, give credit to UConn. They're hanging in there. But, like, you know, then all of a sudden it's, it's kind of like they said, okay, let's turn it on, boys. And, and and Carter Goche, it just goes in like that was that was just a beautiful goal, and like just the skill on that team, the the wave after wave that they can send at you. I mean, I was looking at it today, Pierre. Fourteen kids already drafted on yeah. fourteen NF NHL draft picks on that team right now. That's insane.
0: Well, some of them, like you talked about, Carter Goche was a first round pick of Philadelphia. I'd be absolutely shocked if he's back at Boston College next year. I think he'll be in Philadelphia yeah. it went, whenever BC season is over. Um, you know, I look at Will Smith, a first round pick of the San Jose Sharks. I look at Ryan Leonard, a first round pick of the Washington Capitals. Um, there are so many, they're just so deep with so many good players. Um, and I go watch them practice. I watch them play games and I'm like you, I'm like, whoa, when they decide to amp it up a little bit, they're pretty darn good.
1: It is. It's insane. And then, We've got another good coach coming on uh, for Friday, don't we?
0: Yeah, we do. And he's a Stanley Cup winner as a player. Uh, he was a tremendous coach with the Boston Bruins as his assistant, Jay Pandolfo. Uh, I have so much respect and admiration for the way Jay carries himself, both as a person and as a hockey professional. And you look at, you know, for instance, he's got Macklin Celebrini. And Jimmy, unless I'm really wrong, he's going first overall in this yeah. next summer's draft. He's uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal player. And You think about Lane Hudson, the Montreal Canadiens have to be so excited about him. Luke Tuck, uh, who's a second-round pick from the 2020 draft. I can go down the line. Yeah. Both these teams, BU and BC, are phenomenal. They're led by amazing men, Greg Brown at BC and obviously Jay Pandolfo at uh, at BU. So we're really excited to have Jay on as well. So this is great. I, I just yeah. love talking about it. It's jockey
1: week on the eye test, Pierre. And, Pierre, <laughs> you know, I was telling you Celebrini the other night, and that was my first time that I've really been able to, just because of my NHL and Bruins obligations, right. and I've been able to really just hone in on some college games, and I really got into that BU main game. And, you know, the announcers said it best, and I, c- I couldn't find a clip anywhere. I wanted to have it for everyone here, but uh, Celebrini takes it from zone end and goes coast to coast and he doesn't score. He hits it off the crossbar. And the guy says that has to be the best, no goal that I've <laughs> ever seen in my life. And it was true. It was just like, oh, that's supposed to go in. Come on after all that work, but it was, and it, you know, the the fans there were just like, wow. I mean, they, they cheered, even though he missed, they were cheering him just for the effort it took to get it to that point. And I'm saying this kid, man, he is something. He's got to be going number one.
0: You look at the potpourri of phenomenal players that have been BU. You know, I can start with the 1980 Olympic team, Jack O'Callaghan and Mike Garruzzione. You know, uh, you you look at going later years, Mike Sullivan, who played almost 800 games in the NHL, distinguished coach, Sean McEachern, who had the privilege of coaching in Pittsburgh and winning a Stanley Cup with. Um, You know, I can go down Phil Von Stefanelli, who played a little bit for the Vancouver Canucks. And then you look at the later years with Jack Eichel. Um, you know, you look at some of the great players Charlie they've McAvoy. had You over time. For me?
1: Charlie McAvoy.
0: Yeah, Charlie McAvoy, Charlie Coyle, Charlie McAvoy, mm-hmm. Matt Grizzlick. I mean, I can go down the line with all these players. Uh, it's been just phenomenal to watch. But I think when it's all said and done, the Celebrini kid might be right up there. And, and Jimmy, you know, there, there are not a lot of freshmen that have won the Hobie Baker. Jack Eichel's one of them. Paul Correa is another one of them. Um, we could be looking at something like that with, with Macklin celebrating.
1: We could, I think. That, I mean, the hockey IQ, the jets, he can turn on yeah. and it's funny, you know, uh, at that game, Pierre, I think I was telling you a lot of the Bruins were there cause they got so many BU alums. So Grizzlick and McAvoy are there and, and then, uh, Swayman and Montgomery were sitting in a box together. So yesterday at practice, we, we looked down on the ice. And there's Jimmy Montgomery wearing a, he's usually wearing a scally cap or a helmet. We'll get to that in a bit. Uh, but he's wearing a BU hat and he's got a BU sweatshirt on. And
0: <laughs>
1: I get right in, you know, he comes off and he comes into the press room for his uh, post-practice media scrum with us. And I say, hey, you lose a bet, eh? And he said, yep, but I'm a man of my word. Here we are. I'm, I'm, I'm owning up to it. I lost. So he, uh, he made a bet with the, uh, with the guys there because, he, of course, he's a UMaine alum. It was good stuff. But, you know, he he's starting to really don these scally caps because they've been doing it for these these era nights that they're having. You know, they recognize the Bruins from the 20s, 30s, 40s, kind of the the peaky blinder era there. And then, uh, you know, obviously the big bad Bruins, the other one, he had another black cap on. Uh, I I think our producers uh, are saying he's wearing it better than me. What, What do we think here, guys?
0: I don't know. Maybe I need to get it on, Jimmy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll work yeah. on that. Uh, just one quick story on Jimmy Montgomery. His father yeah. was a tremendous athlete in Montreal. He was a professional boxer. Um, And I tried to recruit Jimmy when I was coaching at St. Lawrence, working with Joe Marsh. Uh, Jimmy played for the Pembroke Lumber Kings in the Central Ontario Hockey League. And I, okay. I can just tell you, He was a highly sought after player. He was a tremendous, tremendous college player, obviously part of a national championship team at Maine where he was a captain. But I I remember watching him play for the Pembroke Lumber Kings and and it wasn't an easy road trip to get from Canton, New York to Pembroke. Let me tell you that, Jimmy.
1: Yeah,
0: A lot of snowstorms you drive
1: through to get there. You know, you know, Pierre, look, I mean, we we were blessed as media to have a guy that's so media savvy and so willing to just shoot the breeze all the time. And Bruce Cassidy for so long there. And we had Claude before that. So Jimmy comes in, and and it's kind of and we know how that ended with Cassidy. It was not the best situation for the Bruins. A lot of fans and media were shocked that they fired him. Jimmy comes in, and of course he's getting a second chance. I tell you, man, I I I am so impressed by him and, and the way that um, I don't know how to put. Like he's just embracing life again and he's embracing his opportunity and you can see when he talks to us you can see when he's on the ice how lucky he feels to be doing what he's doing and I I love seeing that it's just like I feel the same way when I do what I'm doing while I'm doing it here or I'm writing on hockey you know you gotta appreciate where you are and you're there for a reason and I see that in Jimmy and I love it
0: you know what stands out about his character he kept Joe Sacco, one of the assistants who knew mm-hmm. the Bruins way, unbelievably well, obviously a Boston guy. A BU guy? <laughs> yeah, there's a BU guy. And then the other thing is he keeps Chris Kelly, who was part of the 2011 Stanley Cup winning yeah. team in Boston uh, and has been an assistant coach. And then he keeps Bobby Essence as well as a goalie coach. Yeah. So he didn't have to do that. You know, you're a new coach. You're coming in. You get the pick of your step. own guys. Yeah. And he says, you know what? I'm keeping these guys because they're good. And yeah. so I, I, when guys do that, I have a, so much respect for coaches that do that or management people or ownership people that do that. Yeah. Cause you know what? There's a reason why these people have been in the business as long as they have been, they're pretty good at it. And yeah. I really, I really respect Jimmy for what he's done really. Yeah.
1: really and, and he, and he does it too, where he's still able to, you know, insert his philosophies and his coaching methods, but blend in what these guys have been used to. And I think it's great for the players that way, because you're still keeping that familiarity, but you're getting a new outlook, a new a new system, so to speak, that maybe you didn't think about before. So now you blend that together, and that's why they're having so much chemistry. And, look, that's why, once again, they're proving the critics wrong. I don't have to say anything. All right. Thank you. <laughs> well, look, we are really excited about getting, uh, you know, Jay Pandolfo, Greg Brown on, talk some more college hockey this week. College hockey getting the full swing. Uh, I know Pierre. Uh, a certain Maguire had a a really good weekend. Yeah, uh, I know that. I was following his stats. Mm-hmm. A hat trick. Uh, so, hats off to him. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you what too. I'm excited to talk to them. I'm excited to incorporate that. Like we said last week, we aren't just about the NHL. We're about every level of hockey. And if you have suggestions out there, guys, your viewers, and you know, we ask you Twitter questions. But if you have suggestions, hey, why don't you guys talk about this junior B team? If it's a good story, we're going to talk about it because yeah. we're here to talk about the game, not about any specific level, not about any specific players or teams. We're here to talk about the game because we love the game and we love giving you the eye test on it. So I'm looking forward to this. And, and Pierre, like I said in the beginning of the show, too, we're going to have plenty of NHL, though, to talk about yeah. on Wednesday and Friday because, man, it's like a hockey fan's dream with all those games on the slate.
0: You know what I'm excited about, Jimmy, for you to have your first opportunity to talk to Scotty Bowman, and he'll be on the show very soon. He's been oh, watching I've all year Have I, you?
1: But not with you. That's okay. what I'm excited
0: about. <laughs> but I, all I can tell you, is he's very, I'll very. I'll just be flying to on. a on the wall,
1: man. I, <laughs> I, I want to do that. He's
0: really pumped to come on the show, and I'm, we're through, I'm so excited to have him on. Uh, it'll yeah. be great for the listeners. It'll be so
1: good. You know what's great, Pierre, is I, I remember uh, the first time I, I got to speak to him when I was filling in for Mitch Melnick. I want to say this is like 2008 maybe, sure. and I'm nervous. I mean, I'm, I'm like – I don't know what it is. I'm Like I don't mind doing this. I, I, I've i never really gotten nervous coming on the radio or podcast or TV. I just – I felt comfortable, and, and it's helped me. But that was one of those times where I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm going to freeze. I'm going to freeze. What am I going to – and once he started talking, it like it, it all went away. It just he made me feel so comfortable, and he he made me not in awe of who he is and what he is. And that's what I love uh, speaking to him about. And he seems to do that. I listen to him on other podcasts or radio shows. It, it's a great quality to his that he's able to do that and, and really just bring the other person into the conversation on an even level. That's what I love about him. Well said. Yep, so we look forward to that. We look forward to the rest of this week. This has been another edition of the iTest here on the Sick Podcast Network. We'll talk to you next time.
0: And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the iTest with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.